This is the Great Big Beautiful Podcast, another bonus episode. There's People are so lucky. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at the GBB Podcast, as well as our website, thegbbpodcast.com. And how is everyone doing today? By everyone, I mean the silent voice of our listeners. I'm, I'm assuming they're all going, good, good. Yeah, they're you know, all screaming at their, day. They're all screaming at their phones or their radios right now. <laughs> <laughs> and Jamie, I'm assuming you're doing well. <laughs> I'm doing well. How are you doing, I'm, Justin? I'm doing fantastic. So this is day two of our DC in DC panels. Um, we talked about what the event was yesterday. So if you haven't heard that, go back and download it. But Jamie's just going to recap it quick. So yeah. Jamie, why don't you just tell us what, what's going on? In a nutshell, uh, DC in DC was the first hopefully annual um, event in Washington, D.C., held by DC Comics, where they brought together the DC Comics publishing arm and the DC TV television show arm together. Um, and they brought a lot of the the writers and the creators and the and the actors together. And they, they took a day, and it was sort of like a mini Comic-Con in that they had a number of panels th- during the day, and they had a couple premiere screenings. Uh, but the what made this different and unique and what made it memorable was that each of the panels targeted and focused on a different community that is traditionally underserved traditionally doesn't get the exposure that it that it deserves um and so yesterday's episode the previous episode we talked about the many shades of heroism dc heroes through the african-american lens go back and listen to that if you haven't yet uh, and today we're talking about the panel that was just called wonder women um and it was all i think again 12, 13 panelists, um, all women, female creators, actors, um, and talking about the books and the television shows and how they're really putting a a spotlight on the female characters and how that's changing and how they're hoping to do more of that. Um, And uh, I think I, I tweeted from the event that it took about five minutes for the entire panel to tar- start talking about tearing down the patriarchy. So that was a good sign for me that it, it, it only, yes. it only took five minutes for them to start, you know, tearing down the status quo before the panel or after, I'm not sure when you did it, you, you got to sit in a room and interview to support the panel. You mentioned, um, and interview some people. So why don't we, Jamie's, what we're going to do is if you didn't listen yesterday, the way the format works is we're going to interview, James going to introduce each different interview with each different set of guests and then we will play it and then come back. So settle in. You're in for a treat. So, who, Jamie, who's up first? First up, we've got um, it was three, three actresses together, um, each from one of the DC shows that is, that's on the CW. So um, hopefully who is who will be clear in their answers and when they start talking because they don't sort of say who they are every time they start talking. <laughs> um, but sitting at the table together here that you're going to hear is Candace Patton, who is Iris, uh, Iris West from The Flash. And we've got uh, Katie Lotz, who is uh, Sarah, Sarah Lance and White Canary on Legends of Tomorrow and, and Arrow. Um and we've also got Daniel Panabaker, who is Caitlin Snow, Killer Frost on The Flash. So you got the you got the heavy hitters right off the start. Yes, yeah, so we're, we're <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not wasting any time. That's what people people are probably here to hear them. So I'm not gonna you know make them skip through the episode <laughs> listening to them. Right. So we're gonna go play that first one for you right now. First of all, you ladies. 
fantastic job on the individual show. Thank fantastic. You. I am a comic fan to my heart, so this is this is a fantastic. <laughs> what was your initial reaction when you were first cast for these roles, and then as time went on, that you could find, that you could actually develop the characters in your own way? I mean, I was excited to be on the show. Obviously, Greg Berlanti's been making incredible television for a long time, so to get to work in his world has been fantastic, and I was excited. To, and it's been nice to grow with the characters. You know, we've made 80-something episodes of the show, and to see how the different characters have changed and evolved over the years is a pretty cool thing to see. Yeah, I didn't know what I was getting into, and at the time, like, there was no universe. Yeah, I don't yet. know how you <laughs> actually know what you're getting into either. Yeah. So it was um, more exciting even than getting the role was a, a part of the ride of like kind of what it turned into because then it was like now there's all these other shows they appear in all the shows and then you just die and come back and then it's, yeah it's cool yeah excitement I mean um, I think it's a dream come true for any young actor trying to you know make their mark in the business I mean this is like you said what Greg Berlanti has created is a is almost like a dynasty. And to be a part of that um, is a huge thing. So, I mean, whatever happens with the show, I'm forever grateful that I got to be even a small, small part of such a huge, huge universe. Yeah. So, in terms of leadership for you ladies, did you know that your character was going to be in charge of the team from the get-go? Or was it sort of an organic thing that um, they sort of wrote in for you guys as they saw you interact with the cast? I don't think they the plan was ever to have me be in charge of the team, so I didn't know about it. Um, and I think when it was second season and it kind of, when I stepped into that role, it didn't, I was like, oh yeah, well we'll see how long this lasts, you know? And then and then it stuck and, it, and I kind of realized more... Uh, how important that is I mean besides me but just more women in power and I think uh, that's something I really hope to see and I think is a huge would solve so many problems um, in all levels which I think we need to make work someplace where you can also balance fa family and have paternity leave and make it a situation where women can have children and still be able to return to the workforce because we need more women in charge that's the only way that we're going to be able to pave the way for other women because we can understand their issues because we have somebody who's voicing their concerns no, 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 I think that's... <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was perfect. There haven't been a lot of major female villains in the Arrowverse. Is that something that you guys have, like, you talk about that at all? Or is it yeah, like absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, my pitch at one point was, and this is totally selfish, but, like, was why not let Killer Frost be bad? Like, let her be the big bad of the year. For many reasons, I do think it would be great to have a female villain on The Flash on a more consistent basis. You know, yes, I was pitching I'll... that last night to our when we were filming. <laughs> so last night, maybe night four, um, to one of our producers, and I was like, "We need." I wanted an older female villain, yes. somebody who's not like, "I'm gonna cut off your head," <laughs> but like an an older, very like established. Uh, I think uh, create. Tilda, do you remember Tilda Swinton in that Snow Whatever the Train thing? Uh, Snowpiercer. Yeah, love that movie. Right? I love but like it. she was evil. 
yeah, she's great. Uh, like, something like that. All right, to piggyback on that, do you have an actress in mind who played the older woman villainous role from the three of you? Who do you have in mind to play that Dennis Wilson. Yeah. yeah, she did a great job. I <laughs> selfishly have always, this is just a weird desire on my part. I've always wanted Felicia Rashad. <laughs> oh, that's a good choice. That would be like, good. Wouldn't that be good? Like, yeah, she's just so powerful in her, like, self. Um, something about her, I think she would make a really great villain. And like you said, a mature woman. Like, I, I think these shows are so young skewing, and that's great, but I would love to see more established um, men and women on the shows. Yeah. Are there any other uh, like female DC characters that you guys are fans of that are not on the shows that you want to see? I don't know enough about her, but um, and she is a little more youthful. But um, Zatanna. Yes. 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 Excellent. No. <laughs> like immediately when you say that, my mind goes to like blank. So no, not even oh. blank. Like if that person comes on, that's so much more work, and how much does that cost? <laughs> Effects, like, <laughs> so I don't even want to put that out there. Like, we have so many heroes and villains. I think we're good. Yeah. more normal people. Yeah, more normal people. Yeah. We have time for one last question. Katie, you said something in the panel, and I want to paraphrase on it. You said that in order for there to be more representation or better representation, the people that are making the decisions have to believe in you more. So do you feel like that's always kind of been the case with the group that you work with in this era version with the CW? Um, well, I was speaking about equal pay uh, more than I was representation when I was talking about that. And it, it is... In, if people don't value women like as equal to men then there there's there will not be equality like in right. any sense in pay and representation in their stories being told and I think, you know, Warner Brothers does a pretty good job with uh, equality and representation on screen and um, I'm hoping that, that we'll, we'll see that off screen as well. They asked their question. Now we have real. Oh, yeah, we're not talking about that. Sorry, thank you. <laughs> thank you, ladies, so much. All right, so that interview is gone and passed. It's in the past now. Yeah. You rewind. So, Jamie, who's up next? So next we have another group of three, um, and you might, if you've listened to our previous episodes, um, two of these voices will be familiar. They have been on the show before. So we've got Mariko Tumaki, Shay Fontana, and Agnes Garbowska. Um, if you've listened to the episodes, you you have. Mariko and Shay have been on the the show before. Um, they are all sort of connected to the DC superhero girls. Um, they've all writing on uh, the, the various DC books. Mariko doesn't write for DC superhero girls, but she has written for several of the, the marquee characters. She's written for Supergirl, um, and uh, so it's just a great. It's a great. There were so many people there from DC TV that it was nice to talk to people who were there actually from the books, which is what most right. people, I think, relate DC Comics to. So. Right. Well, and it's one thing to have, uh, you know, the inclusion of women in the acting, but to actually, do, you know, go forward with that and have them in the writing and then behind the scenes as well. That's awesome right. as well. Right. So, so this is going to be a fantastic one. We're going to go play that for you right now. 
approach for Christmas. And I'm just really interested in what your thoughts are, what sort of feedback you've gotten maybe from like, you know, um, boys engaging with the series too, because I feel like, you know, when there's this like marginalized group, it's like, oh, it's for those people. Right. But it's for everybody. For it's definitely, we think that a boy can enjoy it just as much as a girl. It features more female characters, but we all grew up seeing a lot of male heroes and we were okay. So I think it's good for <laughs> little boys to see female heroes too. So it's definitely from, I've had a lot of little boys come up to me at Comic Cons and say how much they love it, but say how Bumblebee's their favorite character. Like, they're, we have a whole new generation of boys coming up and it's people like you that are making sure that they see these other character portrayals that are, it's really important. Yeah, conventions, I get this from dads a lot. I'm going to throw back to My Little Pony since that's the other title I work on and DC Superhero <laughs> Girls because they're both female-driven books. Ponies, they're girls. DC Superheroes, majority girls. And dads are like, oh, I don't want my kid reading that because it has female characters. And I'm like, well, what's wrong with that? I'm like, you, you let your kid read Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I'm like, all right, why do you let your kid read that? And they're like, well, it's these four brothers going on these adventures, having a great time and bonding. And I'm like, really? So, <laughs> I don't know what these stories are. I'm like, exactly the same thing. They're just girls fighting crime, doing amazing things, getting to know each other, growing together, and they just happen to be female, and then it's like touche. So I, after that, my little conversation, most dads come back to me a show later, going, "All right, you're right. It's a good read." I'm like, "What did I tell you?" So you just got to change your perspective. That girls like the boys' stuff. Why can't boys like the girls' stuff? And it's, it's amazing stuff. If it's good work, it's good work. I think you just have to keep pushing that. That's a narrative. It's not a truth. Exactly. Yeah. Like this idea. And when I was in comics in 2008, people would always call something like a girl story. Like the first graphic novel I did, they were like, this is a story about girls. And we were like, it's a story about high school. Yeah. Like, you know, and it's true. Like, we grew up reading boy stories. Like, I grew up reading many things, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that it's not that I was like, well, I don't understand this if it's someone about, if it's in England, I don't get it. Or if it's in China, I don't get it. Like, you do. Like, that's the whole point of reading. Yeah, emotions are universal. Yes, that's... they are. How do you feel about what DC does? Of course, you start off with DC Superhero Girls, you start them off young, and then you did Supergirl being super, which was more of a teenage type story, and then you move into the adult stuff. Do you think DC's doing a really good job of doing that step-by-step -step process of going from childhood to I don't think I think of it that way. I think of telling good stories. So I like writing a lot of the kids' stuff. I like the target age that DC Superior Girls is for. And I think, you know, comics, how many titles does DC put out every month? They better have something for everyone. So I think the, that's the only way the comic industry is going to survive and grow. Yeah. Also, I think, you know, it's like YA isn't for kids completely. I mean, how many... When you go to like a Harry Potter party, everyone's like 40. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not like yeah. you're like, this is only for these people. I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of the Lumberjanes. Technically, the Lumberjanes yeah, is for, yeah. you know, like middle grade. So I think it's about being true to that age, not necessarily for that audience. Just writing smart stories. Like we were mentioning, we were talking about the next table. It's kids understand a lot more than you think. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And they could read the smart stories. And when you write books, like with Shay does with DC Super, it's really smart. She's writing this for that age thing, but she's writing it that if you're someone else reading it, you could still enjoy it because it's a good story. It's mm -hmm. a fun story. And when you focus on that, you could get 
all different types of audience, and that's what the market needs right now. It needs different audiences. We can't just be gearing towards the exact same people because it's not totally. going to grow. So DC's being really smart right now. They're like, okay, what don't we have? What do we think people want? And they're actually giving them what different stuff. Now you could have kids and adults and teens, everyone reading something. That, yeah, that's what that was my point. Yeah, I love it. To piggyback on that point, where do you see comic books going? Let's say 10 to 20 years from now, as far as representation or telling those untold stories that have not been told before. I think it's got to be that it's just got to be continually more diverse and understanding what diversity actually means. That it means in terms of like uh, class and race and body type and you know like it's not just like let's just switch up Age. Like that, like you know, where we just like switch up the ages or whatever. It has to be that you really are seeing that there's more stories to be told, more experiences, and you're going to embrace the complexity of all of those things. So that it's not just that, like, oh well, we've made this character Asian. It's that we we understand all of the things that you can be when you're Asian. <laughs> Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. And we've seen huge breakout successes in the non-cape side of comics recently. Too. Too, and graphic novels and just having more complex storytelling um, and just creating that diversity of voices behind the stories as well. When the concept of the show first came about, was there pushback from the network at all about producing it or were they like fully on No, the um, from the beginning DC and everybody was really supportive. Um, I don't know if it would have been that way 10 years ago. I think it's definitely people are slowly but surely moving in the right direction and we still have a ways to go, but I think people, because now you are seeing the female executives in a lot of these roles that grew up loving Batman, like we were on a panel a few weeks ago and everybody is like, Batman the Animated Series is one of my influences, like that, these uh, shows that were such, so big for the people who are now in the decision-making roles, I think you're just going to get a ton more of those kind of shows that are for everyone. Yeah. If you love Batman, you love so many things. Yeah. <laughs> like you love Adam, like the like geeky Batman, you love animated Batman, you love super dark, angry, sad Batman. Like, I love that about that. And I think right now what's happening is before it's like, oh we need a girl's book. Let's just put this on and it's not the right team. Like it doesn't matter if it's a TV show comic, if you don't put the right creative team on it, the book's not gonna succeed. Yeah. So I think DC is looking at the creative teams going, all right, we need the right people for this project, and they're really taking the time to put the right people on the right projects to make sure they do succeed, and I think hopefully we'll see more of that in the future, not just projects being shoved because you need the diversity, right. but putting the right team to make that diversity a success. Yeah. And I think that's what's happening right now. So. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like there's more listening happening, too. Like, when you say, like, I think this is how this should be, it's not just like, that's nice. Yeah. It's like an actual conversation, which is really great. Is there, is there someone in the industry that you've always wanted to work with and haven't had the opportunity? That's a trick question. <laughs> That's the question that you can't ever say anyone because then everybody else will know. <laughs> I mean, I've worked with like 
Joelle Jones, who is incredible. Oh, she's great. And I've gotten to work with my cousin, obviously. Like, I've really worked with, like, such a diversity. And it's weird because sometimes you're just like, it's a blind date. Like, you have no idea if it's going to get along or not. Yeah. But I've had really lucky like, experiences. I would really like Gail Simone to write me a cute story. Oh, God. So, when I first met Gail, because I was already a huge fan of hers, she's like one of those people where I just froze. So, I think she thought I was like the weirdest person ever because I kind of froze <laughs> in the middle of shaking her hand. I don't know. It's just, it's like you, you just meet someone who you like looked up to, and all of a sudden you're like, and she was really cool. But yeah, it was super weird. And now it's awesome because now I know her as a colleague. Like, I talked to her, and it's really cool. But yeah, if she ever writes a cute story, I'll be like, yeah, Gail. <laughs> So the real question on that one is, did they remember you from your fantastic interview with them when they were on our show? You know, again, I said this on yesterday's episode, there were so many people there um, that it was kind of a madhouse. Um, and I wasn't actually sitting at the tables. The reason you, okay. you can't hear my voice, I didn't really ask many questions in these interviews is because I was standing to the back. I was recording everything and listening, um, but I wasn't really up close. And so that's why, and you know, they were just going table to table to table. And right. then they had like a little red carpet with people doing video and everything. It was just insane. So I was like, I'm not going to be that guy <laughs> who walks up. And you're like, not going to be that guy. Hey, uh, yeah. I interviewed you a few weeks ago. Exactly. Do you remember me? Do you remember me? Especially with Shay. <laughs> Hey, that was a Shay. We talked to Shay Fontana, I think, like a year ago. So I yes. don't expect these. I don't expect everybody yeah. who's been on our show to remember us. You don't? I do. <laughs> I mean, Jonathan Frakes knows us. Come on. <laughs> All right. So who do we have up next? So the last one we've got together, we've got sisters, uh, Julie Benson and Shauna Benson, who for DC are currently writing um, Batgirl and the Birds of Prey. Uh, but they are also... Are they showrunners? I don't think they're showrunners, but they are, they, they're writers on that uh, The 100. So if you watch the show The 100, they have um, heavy creative input into that show, I guess I should say. Okay. Awesome. Uh, that's really cool. I didn't know that. <laughs> the things <laughs> now you, you do. Learn. The things you the, learn. <laughs> the things you learn. All right. So we're going to go play that final interview for you right now. Hope you enjoy. I want to know how this this writing process works with two two sisters. We fight all the time. <laughs> yeah, and I win. Well, <laughs> oh, generally, no, I, that's not true. Yeah, no, most of the time we like, no. we subscribe to the. Uh, uh, we subscribe to the idea that the best idea wins. Yeah. It's so, something we learned on the hundred. Yeah, and, you know, you you work toward uh, writing a story, and you know, if you oh, you have to be objective, you know, you, you have to be a little bit objective about it and step away from your ego, which is really hard um, because as writers, we all kind of have a little bit of an ego. You know, our our ego is wrapped up in our art, and you know, it's easy to smash it with a hammer very easily. <laughs> but um, you have to kind of step back from it and go, oh, you know what she have a, that's a great idea we you know that's better than the idea i had oh you're right she wouldn't say that she would yeah, say this you, that you know you rewrote that line and that line is so much better now thank because, you yeah <laughs> no I, being sisters too it helps because we're not twins we were born on the same day but three years apart but just being sister i mean if you all have brothers and sisters you can do the thing of like remember the time and they go oh yeah yeah, yeah. Like, you don't even need to finish the story you yeah. have that twin speak and so we do that a lot we, do we don't lot. realize how much that is that is a, an attribute to a writing partnership. Yeah, it's, it's a total benefit for us. I mean, it's a little weird for people in, say, the, 
the 100 writers room when we oh yeah I can just look at her and, and she'll go oh, <laughs> oh yeah. yeah so yeah. we and need like, to and they're like how did you just do, do, you, like, do you guys we have, we're meta humans we have telekinesis and tele telepathy it's about our whole lives wrapped up in that so yeah. what was the question process <laughs> process we write oh yeah we got best idea ones well my question is who were your influences to become writers Oh. Um, Lucy Maud Montgomery. Oh, yeah. Nice. Agatha Christie. Right? That's right. Yes. Um, you know, the the pseudonym of Carolyn Keene. You know, I mean, I, growing up and reading books, and Agatha Christie, you know, these are the female writers, but obviously there were a lot of male writers. I read a lot of books. A lot of books. Nice. Julie wrote, read a lot of comic books, and I read a lot of books. And I, I, I just, I always knew that was what I wanted to do. And I learned it through a different form, which was watching. So I would say, oh, look, Catherine Hepburn's so good in this movie. And then at some point you start to go, who wrote the words for Catherine Hepburn to say? And then you start to realize, oh, they're, you know, it's that process. I want to do that. Like, I want to do that. I want to be able to write words for Catherine Hepburn, or I want to be able to write for Dana Scully. Like the X Files was the show. I think that I was like, mm -hmm. oh, I want to, I want to write that. That yeah. seems fun. And why? And by the way, where aren't we? Where are the women writing X Files? Um, yeah, uh, for but me yeah. it was Doctor Who. Like, and Doctor, Doctor Who. Who was like the show. Like I wrote, I wrote a Doctor Who. We wrote Doctor Who fan play yeah. that never got made. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was in a play Someday it all. It was in a play form. All of my friends were supposed to be in it. You know, I had the scarf and the hat. Yep. Like I was down. I was ready. So you were the Tom Baker. I was. <laughs> I had very curly hair when I and was. And then a I would kid. dress up as Ace. So yeah. I was. Oh, yeah. Yeah. oh no. If we were nerds Hard before. It was cool. Hard for a long that's the hipster way to say it, but uh, we hid behind it, and now I think it's so great to see little girls and boys out there that are just, they're in their Wonder Woman outfits, and they're like, yeah, we're doing this, and you're like, yeah, yeah, we are, yeah. it's great. It seems like Thank the you. conversation about diversity is really starting to shift from just what's on screen to also what's happening behind the scenes. Yes. Um, yeah, I just want to hear what your perspective on that is, and you, if you feel like that actually is changing, because it does feel like it doesn't happen enough, the conversation doesn't happen. It is changing. Um, I think, you know, we got the question of, you, you write a female book with three female superheroes and you're females. That seems to be a prevalent thing in the top, in the big two. Um, but I think that's changing. I think that there's the opportunity to go back to the, the Louise Simonson days and the Gail Simone days. I mean, there were so many women that were writing these books. Pay gaps. We talk internally now. I'll just start asking my peers, what do you make per page? Here's what I make. You know, because if we're embarrassed about it, how are we ever going to learn and overcome and and be equal? And in the same breath, our, our male peers who step in and, and support and help, that that means everything to us. And, you know, the sexual harassment stuff, yeah, we've worked in Hollywood a long time. We put up with a lot of BS. Um, but that was just it. We put up with it. And now I think there's this wave of women feeling like, you know what, I don't have to put up with that anymore. Wait a minute, why am I putting up with that? And all of us sort of, when you get a large voice, you start to feel empowered. And so there's a sense of empowerment that's happening right now. And it's not to negate men and it's not to say, beat it, get out of here. We don't want an all-female 
you know, Hollywood. Well, maybe we do. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> female now that I said it. No, no, no. But, you know, it's, 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 it's supporting each other. And I think that's been the great thing. Women coming up the ranks. I've had both men and women that supported our careers. But right now, it feels like it's important for me to turn around and support the next one. Yeah. I think that for a long time, women were kind of pitted against each other. Yes. Because there were so few seemingly the same jobs yeah. because it was like well you got to have a woman on a show um, that also do or that or a black person yeah or, or a diversity or where's the slot diver- oh, it's just and, the and so the thing is is it's not a zero sum game you know we should all be in the same boat together and like we have a writers group yeah. you know of, of our peers and it's diverse because they are and it helps you know just to have the that you know environment where we can you know read each other's work, give each other notes, but also to just like commiserate about our experiences. And not feel like you're alone. And support and, you know, cheer each other on. You know, when one of us gets a job, we don't go, I wanted that job. You know, it's like, no, it's great. I'm so happy you got that job. So I think that... that And that's different. That hasn't been like that. It really hasn't. That's new. Yeah. For women to not feel like we have to call each other's eyes out to get the one gig in the writer's room. You know, the hundred is nice because it's primarily, I think it's evenly split or more female than men in that room. Yeah, it's been more female. We got lucky. Yeah. Um, Yeah. We'll see how far it keeps going. I hope, I hope, I'm glad we're talking about it. Yeah. So it's not an ugly, dirty secret or something anymore. The conversation has increased a lot in Hollywood about these. As you stated, you ladies grew up with your father reading Golden Age. Silver. Silver. I'm sorry, Silver. I I tend to go back and forth because I'm a comic fan. Okay, let's talk. (laughs) Is there a Silver Age character that you feel? What benefit from being revealed or maybe expanded on in today's day? Yes. <laughs> I will get in a lot of trouble from DC if I say because we may be writing that character. I would be the dead end. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Well, uh, let's, yeah. let's talk about the characters that you are writing. Yeah. Back girl and Birds of Prey. You just had an arc that was, I thought was really great where oh, cool. only the men could get sick. Oh, the manslaughter arc. Yeah. 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 And it was Sorry, so guys. Because you got to take not just the, the, the heroes of the female world, you got to take the villain, yes. female, and you've got Wonder Woman in there. How cool was that to like bring everybody together for that like combo so cool. goal? It was, uh, that's, that's the dream, right? I mean, on The 100, we have a huge ensemble show. We have so many characters. And it's a good thing. I roll my eyes in love because I'm so glad we have that it's, many, it's but so it is a hard. lot of characters. It's and hard. so then you're writing Birds of Prey and you got three. And you're like, okay, this is fun because we're telling, what if we made it bigger? Like, what? how would they interact with Wonder Woman? Do they know each other? What's the continuity? Um, but why do we need those, those characters? And what are they bringing to the table was also really important. So their skill sets were all individually sort of selected for that story. And giving the villain, quote unquote, the villain, Poison Ivy, the sort of heroic moment at the end of realizing how to make the serum, I think it's so important to just show that at the base level, even the villains are human, and they care about making sure that 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 playing ground is that, that playground is fair. And so when we told DC we had the idea and, and we started, I mean, the list was two times bigger. Who yeah. we wanted? We wanted Supergirl. We wanted a Hawk Girl. We wanted everybody. Yeah, we wanted Where's everybody. Barda? Oh, you can't use Barda. Why? Zendo. <laughs> <laughs> no Barda. I mean, we, 
we had a list, you guys, but they were great in that they said you can use all of these because of continuity. It had nothing to do with anything else. But um, what a what a excite! It was so hard though because we should have made that arc another issue. I feel just to give them time to actually. That would have been awesome. Oh, it was so tough to do that in three, but uh, we tried to give them each a moment. We tried to make sure we paired them up individually, like uniquely interesting um, pairings. Yeah. I mean, we actually went through and like separated out A, B, C teams yeah. and we're like, okay, who do we want on which squad? Yeah, you're going to mix it up. And it was really fun. characters together. So when the TV show happens, we can do that episode. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Showrunners too, by the way, right? Yeah. yeah. We will happily take that job. Yeah. You're going to sure. break these ladies. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you so much, you guys. Thank, Thank you. Okay, another great set of panels done on bonus episode uh, day two of DC in DC. <laughs> Sounds like it was a really fun event. It really was. I really hope that they do it again next year because it was it was a blast. I mean, I have a little bit of a qualm that they don't do DC in Fredericton. Well, Brunswick. that doesn't have the same ring to it. <laughs> <laughs> they probably couldn't get like media out to it either. So that, that might be the issue. <laughs> so... Yeah, so to come back tomorrow, we're going to be doing day three of the panels. And I think that's the final day. It's day three, right? Sadly, yes, it is the final day oh, for us. Oh, man, there, yes. there should have been like six more panels. So we could have did this for a week. <laughs> <laughs> and so what is our panel tomorrow that we're going to be talking about? Tomorrow, we're going to be talking about the panel that was called The Pride of DC, The Art of LGBTQ Inclusion. There we go. So come back tomorrow. You're not going to want to miss it. You can, If you want to continue this conversation or talk about anything that you heard in the panels, we'd love to hear from you. We're at the GBB Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, as well as the GBBpodcast.com. And you can also phone us. <laughs> yeah, if you want to go old school, you can call us at 301-825-5653. And you can also mail us at, and then we should have like no, a, God, are you a kidding me? Mail, and then have like a song like those old PBS shows used to have. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like Zoom. Do you remember Zoom? Send it to Zoom. No, I don't. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the Mr. Tickle thing all over again. <laughs> all right, guys. If you don't understand that reference, you need to listen back. And I, lo- I love that you're it. calling him Mr. Tickle now. Yeah. <laughs> all right, guys. We'll see you tomorrow for day number three. I'm Justin at 140 Justin C. I'm Jamie at the Roarbots. Take care. Take That's care. I took your line. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad. Thank you.